Thank you. Good evening. I promise, you know, we sleep in the same bed, live in the same house. Uh, I hear her practicing worship sometimes. Uh, she sends the songs to my email for me to print off for her once we get here on Wednesdays. But we did not talk to each other about what I was teaching on and the song she had prepared for tonight um, and everything. But it's hand in glove with what we're going to be talking about. We sang over and over again about our King Jesus and both the blessings we have as, uh, with him as our King here and now um, as he's in heaven uh, at the throne there, but also uh, in the future, which is what we're going to be looking at tonight in Psalm 72. So if you guys want to turn there. Um, while you're turning there, uh, we wanted to lift up uh, Carrie Palmer. Um, for those of you on the prayer chain, you've already um, been hearing some of the updates, but um, she's not doing very well at all. Um, in fact, the doctors have given her maybe a couple days um, uh not getting oxygen. I don't remember exactly all the medical details, um, but prayers are coveted for her, for the family, um, and everything. So we want to just keep her, um, Colby in Dallas, and um, Frank, her husband, and then Pam and Mike, her parents, um, all in our prayers at this time. And, you know, um, the Lord can do anything, right? So we've seen her pull through before. Um, doctors have given her bad diagnosis before, not long to live in the past, and she's the Lord's brought her through. So he could do the same still. Um, and then, so we'll pray for her in a second. Um, also, I would cover your prayers for my, my dad. Um, he was uh, diagnosed with a really bad prostate infection. Um, so uh, apparently it's been ongoing for a couple months and he didn't tell anybody about it or go in and now he's on extremely um, dangerous antibiotics that can give him permanent tendinitis, um, lots of bad side effects, hallucinations, uh, muscle damage, neuropathy, all that kind of stuff, but it's kind of last ditch effort. Um, and they're, they're saying that uh, it could go septic uh, for him. So, and then He's also been having some heart issues, and so he was already scheduled to go into the VA tomorrow to have a, an ultrasound of his carotid arteries um, for some blockages there and everything. So um, his name is Don, so uh, we'll pray for him tonight, but if you guys could pray for him too. So um, let's pray. Lord, we lift up Carrie to you, Lord. You know her. You know her body. You know what she's going through, Lord. You've appointed the time for her to go. Lord, and no sooner and no later, Lord. Uh, we pray for her right now, number one, that you would give her the peace of your presence, that you would touch her body and heal her. Lord, in, in that last update, she expressed to her mom that she didn't want to go yet, Lord. Uh, so if it's not her time, Lord, we pray that you would do that miracle in her body and heal her and bring her out of this, Lord. We pray for the family, that you would comfort them, that you would give them hope, Lord, that even if it is her time now, Lord, she knows you, she has a place with you, she's going where her body will be restored, uh, 
more than restored, made new, Lord, incorruptible, Lord. And so we, we pray for that family. We pray for Colby, Lord, that you would encourage her heart, Lord. We pray for Dallas, that you would use this to draw her back to you, Lord. We pray for Pam and Mike, that they would be strong in their faith, Lord, and encourage uh, their daughter and their grandchildren in this time, and for Frank as well, that you would comfort him, Lord. Lord, I also lift up uh, my father to you, Lord. Again, we ask for healing for him, Lord. I pray that you would encourage his heart to step out in faith and ask for prayer, Lord, to not the, keep these things to himself, Lord, but he would ask for prayer, Lord. But we do pray for him. We ask that uh, you would heal his body, um, that he would have a good diagnosis when he goes in tomorrow for the ultrasound, and that this infection would just clear up, Lord. Lord, we pray for tonight, Lord. We thank you so much that this world, the suffering we see in it, Lord, uh, the things that we have, the trials and the difficulties, the fallen nature that we live with, Lord, that this is not the end, Lord. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for your word, Lord, that you have shown us that there is hope beyond this world, beyond this life, Lord. We have hope here and now as well because of that, Lord, and we thank you so much. I pray that you would speak to us tonight as we look at your word, uh, that by your spirit you would give us application, you would uh, speak to our hearts, encourage us, lift us up, rebuke us if needed, Lord. Uh, remind us of your promises and that we would walk in them, being salt, light, a bride prepared for your coming, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. So you're in Psalm 72. Keep your fingers there and turn over to Revelation 19. We'll come back to that and we'll read it in a second. But Look at verse 11. So this comes right after the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the church is in heaven, feasting with the Lord. Remember Jesus, when he had his last supper with his disciples, he says, I'll not have this again with you until I eat it with you in my kingdom. And he prophesied of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So right after this, now, verse 11, we see, Now I saw... Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. 
and jump down to verse 4 of chapter 20. Uh, talks about in between here the battle with uh, Satan and the Antichrist and the armies that gathered. Um, but verse 4 it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So turn back over to Psalm 72. So that's the end of the tribulation period that we read about there when Jesus returns with the saints clothed in white linen, judges the nations, defeats the Antichrist and the beast. Satan's locked in, in the, the pit for a thousand years. And he establishes his kingdom, physical, earthly, political kingdom here on the earth. Um, And that's, you know, the last book that we have in the New Testament, in the Bible. Well, all the way back here in Psalm, we have a prophecy concerning this. Uh, This psalm we're going to look at tonight, uh, if you look at the little note, it says a psalm of Solomon. Some will say it was a psalm for Solomon. They'll say David wrote it for his son because of some of the references there. David, the king of Israel, writing about his son, also a king. Um, I believe this was actually Solomon himself writing it, just based on the style and some of what's written about here, the time frame as well. Um, But it's not just this prayer and this asking of blessing upon Solomon. It's a prophetic uh, uh, prayer of looking forward to there were the blessings that Solomon's reign had there and, and then. It was the golden age of Israel. David had united the kingdoms. Uh, there was peace. There was prosperity. Solomon had been granted wisdom beyond any other man that lived on the earth. Um, built the temple of the Lord. Built this magnificent palace for himself. Spent longer on his palace than he did on the house of the Lord. That's another study. Uh, but... You know, uh, but they lived in peace and prosperity and blessing in that time frame. And out of that time frame, Solomon had this prophetic look through the Holy Spirit uh, of a foreshadowing of what it would be like when Jesus, the ultimate son of David, would be on the throne and establish his kingdom and the blessings that would be far beyond what was being experienced at the time of Solomon. So, um, but like I said, this, this, it reads like a prayer. In fact, some of the Bible translations, they have rather than these um, imperatives where like verse one says, give the king your judgments. It, it, it goes on and starts each, pretty much each verse, may you, may you do this, may you do this. Um, and it very much could have been written that way and even prayed that way by Solomon. Um, Uh, But I like one of the Bible commentators I read, um, I can't pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try, but he wrote this, he says, where prayer is based on the word of God and is made in the strength of his spirit, the transition from imperatives or questions or pleading to the Lord in prayer 
to futures, meaning it's a set in stone, this is the future that I have, becomes exceedingly natural and easy. So where prayer is based on the word of God and is made in the strength of his spirit, the transition from imperatives to futures becomes exceedingly natural and easy. That's the same for us. When we pray, when we cry out to the Lord, when it's done based on the word of God and it's made in the strength of his spirit, then the things that we're pleading for easily and naturally transition to the promises and fulfilled blessings that we can look forward to in him. Um, That's what Jesus talks about all throughout the New Testament if we pray in his name, if we pray according to his word. So let's get into the psalm. 72, verse 1. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. So here I believe Solomon is is speaking of uh, himself. He is praying here. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. Solomon rightly acknowledged that for him as king, the highest he could attain to in glory and righteousness, in wisdom, was not his own, but was what came from God. Solomon uh, recognized that, and so he was asking the Lord, Lord, give me your judgments and your righteousness to the king's son. Uh, You know, the scriptures say that um, righteousness exalts a nation. Um, The highest that any human ruler... uh, person can achieve to uh, in this life is only as high as his righteousness. And we know our righteousness doesn't get very far at all. In fact, the scriptures say our righteousness is like filthy rags in God's eyes. Um, So the only highest that we can attain to in righteousness is what's given to us by the Lord. It's given to us by him. Uh, It comes from him. As Christians, our righteousness is not something we attain to. It's not something we can accomplish. It's based on what Christ has done for us on the cross, paying the price for our sins, imputing his righteousness to us, giving us his Holy Spirit and sanctifying our lives so that we then become more in line and more uh, formed into his image to then we're reflecting him, and it's his righteousness shining through us. It's never about us. It's always about him. Solomon prays that. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. I love my Bible, New King James. It capitalizes that word son because it gives you that little hint that this isn't just speaking about Solomon. It's speaking about the son, the king's son, Jesus, the son of God. And then it goes into this prophecy. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. We saw that Jesus ruling with a rod of iron um, in Revelation when he sets up his, his kingdom here on the earth. But he's not an unjust judge. He's not wicked. He's not foolish. You know, we have such poor examples here and now. Um, even, even the best you know, presidents and political leaders and kings and all of them, uh, they all have sin. They've all fallen short. They all, you know, and in fact, most of them are just downright wicked or, or foolish or don't, you know, live up even to the earthly standards that are set for them. Uh, and yet what we have to look forward to is a king and a judge who will always, 
because it's in his character and his nature, will always have judgments that are righteous, that are right, that are true, that stand firm, that are the right, fair things to take place. Always. And it says, and you're poor with justice. You know, the world that we live in now, uh, there's a lot of hot air being blown around about social justice, about, you know, uh, equality and equity uh, economically and people who are disadvantaged and all of these other things. Um, And man is always seeking to put on a show about dealing with you know the poor the needy those who are who are dis- who are disadvantaged all of these things and yet because of the wickedness of man because of satan all of those schemes that set out to on the outside really deal with those things are in fact selfish motivated by power or politics or even if they maybe have the, the right motives and right intentions, fail and, and do not ever deal with man's true needs and man's true, uh, you know, uh, the depths of what a person truly needs uh, in his life. That's why it's so important for us as Christians not to get caught up with social justice. Um, you know, you may say, I have nothing to do with that. I, you know, I don't even know what it means or don't look at it at all, have nothing to do with it. And yet many churches, even some that have been in the Calvary Chapel movement have gotten involved to where their ministries have been become focused on social justice. They may not call it that, but it's always about what's the next popular agenda that we need to get on board with. You know, 2020, it was Black Lives Matter. You know, it's now it's the, the LGBTQ agenda. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, getting on board. Maybe it's not even those ones that we as Christians would say, well, that's, that's anti-biblical, that's not right. But there are even others that, that churches get on board and say, well, we need to be all about feeding the homeless. We need to give them shelter here at our church. We need to do this. We need to do that. But yet there's a, an aversion to the gospel, to sharing the gospel, to preaching the word, to standing firm on the truth. Yes, when we have opportunity, when the Lord calls us to, there's, there's a dealing with the poor, with the needy. There, there's showing kindness. There's giving a glass of water to a stranger that comes to you. There's, there's all these things that we as Christians are called to do. But it's never at the cost of sharing the truth of salvation with them. It's like what Jesus um, talks about, somebody coming to you with a need and you send them away, oh, just be blessed, be filled, rather than giving them what they need. Jesus wasn't talking about us feeding them and giving them food. That was the picture. What What does a person truly need? They need the gospel. They need to be saved. And until they're saved... You know, doing all these other things, getting them to a point where they can support themselves and have a house that they can live in and food on the table at every meal and and warm clothes and a car to drive and all of these other things, that means nothing. They could still, you know, turn their entire lives around, no longer be living on the streets, no longer dealing with drugs, no longer doing these other things. And yet, 80 years down the road, 
die in their sins. Nothing has changed for them. No changes on the outside matter at all without a change on the inside. With Jesus, he judges the people with righteousness and the poor with justice. True justice will come when Jesus is on the earth. You know, we do have our part to do. You know, there's, uh, I just got a notification, um, if you guys remember from 2020, uh, with all the COVID mandates and all that kind of stuff, there are a few organizations out there, Christian legal organizations that were kind of standing up and saying, uh, if you're dealing with issues at work or, you know, churches being uh, litigated against for remaining open or Christian you know, businesses or, or schools and all those things. One of them was a, a Liberty Council um, with Matt Staver. Um, and he sends out regular newsletters of different things that they're working on. One of the things that has come out is this um, House Resolution H.R. 15. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, they call it the Equality Act. Um, it espouses a lot of things that on the outside right away as Christians we would say, you know, these are not good, you know, it, they want equality in uh, marriage with, you know, homosexuals, LGBTQA stuff, um, all of that kind of stuff. But all wrapped in it, there's a removal of the religious freedoms of people in the U.S. There's also um, uh, provisions in there to allow, uh, to basically enshrine abortion up to partial birth abortion uh, as a legal right under the Constitution, um, and all of these other things. So there are things that we still can do. Obviously, we pray, we, we, we can sign a petition, we can do our part on those things. Ultimately, you know, we see the end is going to get worse and worse. That's what the scriptures say. Um, but there are things that we can do, like we have the um, benefit concert that's coming up for the pregnancy, or for Whid Whidbey Island Women's Clinic, the pregnancy clinic there. That's a physical thing. We can go and help support that ministry. Do that. Th those are those things that we can do. But again, it all comes down to what really matters, what really has an effect is salvation. Because the people that are saved here and now will get to experience this real, true justice, the real, true righteousness with Jesus. If they're not saved here and now, they're not going to experience this. They're not going to go through that. So we need, to, we need to be men and women who are devoted to sharing the gospel, to uh, being salt and light, willing to stand upon the truth and speak the truth to one another. And speak the truth to those who are outside. To share with them. Not get caught up with all of these social things that have no spiritual effect. You know, sometimes they open the door. And if, that, if there's always the sharing of the gospel, that's great. Um, and, and that can be a tool for that. But that should not be what it's focused on. Verse 3. The mountains will bring peace to the people. And the little hills by righteousness. What this is speaking of is the, the, the righteousness and the peace that comes about from Jesus' righteousness, from his right ruling, from his justice. We'll go from the bottom to the top. We'll fill the land is what that's speaking of. And that is how Jesus' reign will be marked. It's not just this peace where, where it, you know, all of a sudden is there, 
um, and it's people coming together and, and doing their part to bring about this peace. No, it comes because Jesus is ruling and reigning. That's why it comes. It's because he's on the throne. It's because he's judging with righteousness. He's dealing with justice with the poor. He's brought peace to the people and righteousness. And verse 4, it says the same thing. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces or crush the oppressor there. You know, that's our hope. We, we've talked about it before, but we can look on and we can see all the injustice that happens in our world. Um, you know, I don't know if you've been following what's going on in Nigeria right now. Um, it's horrific. There are so many Christians that have been killed in Nigeria in, in, uh, in the last several years um, and has barely even been talked about. Uh, in Armenia right now, um, Azerbaijan has, in essence, condemned about 10,000 Christians to death, not allowing them to cross over into Armenia. There are Armenian uh, you know, uh, Christians that live in Azerbaijan, and there's a civil war that, or war that's been going on between the two countries, and, and there's nearly 10,000 Christians that, that are, you know, ready to be killed um, because of what's going on over there. Uh, you know, we got the newest uh, edition of the Calvary Chapel magazine, um, and if there's the whole section in there that talks about Ukraine, and Christians in Ukraine and what's going on there um, and, and the Calvary chapels and the ministries that the Lord has, has um, kind of given opportunities to there in Ukraine. But there's injustice all around and we're going to continue to see it increase and increase. People are being oppressed. And, and beyond all this kind of physical outward things that we see, Satan rules the world that we live in right now. Satan is the ruler, the prince of the power of the air. And he is an oppressor over all of the people that live in this world. Some don't know it, right? But, but he is the oppressor. And, and in fact, right before Jesus sets up his throne, we read it in, in chapter 19 of Revelation. Uh, the ultimate uh, pinnacle of man's attempts to rule the world in the Antichrist ultimately is oppression, is wickedness, is an affront to God, is slaughtering anyone that is in opposition to it, is uh, uh, complete and total control, and the epitome, the definition of oppression, is what the, the pinnacle of governance and, and man's attempts at ruling is really Satan on the throne of the world in Antichrist. And yet when Jesus comes, he's going to crush the oppressor. He's going to break that. He will save the children of the needy. You know, um, it was interesting. Uh, there was a new archaeological find that came out this last week. Um, a fortress called Hyrcania, um, about 23 miles southwest uh, of Jerusalem, or southeast of Jerusalem. Um, and there was an inscription found. Written in Greek, it was one of the first uh, inscriptions on stone written in Koine Greek of a paraphrase of Psalm 86, verse 1, um, where the, the, they believe it was a monk who wrote it at the time, about 5th century um, A.D., and uh, it says, Jesus Christ, guard me, for I am poor and needy. 
Um, and it's a well-known prayer that was a paraphrase um, where uh, the prayer in Psalm 86 is, Lord, you know, protect me and guard me. And there's a few other verses in there. Um, but uh, I love what that paraphrase does um, is re- really give the right and true understanding of us as believers in, to God is that we're poor and we're needy, a right, a right perspective on ourselves. We're those who will be saved. We're those who are needy. We're poor. We're needy. We should have that understanding of who we are as, as believers, as Christians. We are poor and needy. We need him. We're not self-sustaining. We're not uh, self-sufficient. We are poor and needy. In fact, uh, the church in Laodicea thought they were all that, right? In the book of Revelation, they were neither hot nor cold. The Lord wanted to spew them out of his mouth. I believe that the church of Laodicea is the church that we see around us here and now. Um, a church that says, I've got it all, I've got, I'm all that. Um, but the Lord uh, is ready to spew us out of his mouth if we're in that church, if we're in that mode where we don't recognize our need for him, our reliance upon his word. Uh, you know, there are churches out there that have grown too big for their britches and they believe, believe they no longer need the word of God, Right? that they can choose to say this portion of the scriptures we can believe and trust, this portion we can't. Uh, that we'll agree with what the Bible says about this aspect, but the rest of it really, that was just all cultural stuff that has no effect on us here and now. We should always consider ourselves to be poor and needy in the fact that we need Christ. We need Him. We need His Word. We need to be humble before him because that's truly how we we are in his eyes we're poor and needy we need him and if we ever get to that place where where we're growing beyond that we're we're in danger we're not in the good place look at verse 5 it says they shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations As long as the sun and moon endure. How long does the sun and moon endure? To the end of the millennial kingdom. That's how long the sun and moon endures. If you guys remember at the end of that, the heaven and earth pass away. Heaven is rolled up, right? And then when we read about the new Jerusalem, when we read about the new heavens and the new earth, there's no need for the sun or the moon because Christ is the light there. Right, So uh, this promise here, as long as the sun and moon endure, we'll see it a few other places here in the psalm. It's saying that Jesus' reign there, when he establishes his reign on the kingdom, it's going to keep going. For Solomon, as he's, as he's praying this, as the Spirit is, is prophesying these things for him, that's, that's the end of time. That, that's as long as you can think in history. The sun and the moon, they'll continue to endure throughout all generations. And he says, they shall fear you. They shall, they shall respect you, be in awe of you. Jesus, when he comes and rules and reigns, uh, it's going to be ultimate fear, respect, reverence, awe, and it's going to last. 
it's not going to be like we you know we've seen hopes for you know renewal and and ch political changes in our you know in our country and all of these other things and promises of of a, a better age and all of these other things that always end up just failing not lasting right false promises that you can't trust but with Jesus it endures he endures because it's him and his character and the blessings that come are, are just amazing. Verse 6, it says, He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing. I love this picture. Rain upon the grass before mowing. I ever had your grass too long? I always have my grass too long at my house. <laughs> One of the houses we had, um, of course, we have, we've had septic systems, and so the grass over the, the drain field is always extra long. Um, when it's the right time of year. Uh, when Ethan, our nephew, was younger, he came over to that house one time, and I had, I gave up on mowing that lawn because it was so lumpy and mossy and wet in the back, swampy. Um, the lawnmower would bog down with just like a foot of pushing. You know, it, terrible. But we let it grow, and I just gave up on it. And Ethan came over, and he's out in the back just stomping around for a while, and we're trying to figure out what he's doing. And he comes back in and says, oh, I made a fort back there and he he had us come out and he goes back in there and the grass is so tall you can't see him any longer and he's standing up inside of it you know um, but tall grass Jesus he's going to come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth he's going to produce that abundance you know the the earth will be restored at that time when he comes on the earth to a state like that of Eden it's not going to even, I, I, we don't have full-on descriptions of everything that the earth is going to be like when Jesus comes back at the millennial kingdom. But I think we also don't have that also um, with when he remakes the heavens and the earth. We, we really have no idea what it's going to be like there. Um, but this is what it's like when he comes back in his second coming. What's it going to be like, Really? If that's the blessing there, and yet it's still a world that suffered the ravages of sin and death. It's still a world that's been around since the, the initial creation and gone through the flood and all of the catastrophes that have taken place from the flood on till now and all the things that happen um, on the earth at that point. And yet there's going to be this abundance, this blessing, all of these things. And what, how much even more amazing will it be when he remakes it? Um, the new heavens and the new earth. But there when he's king on the throne, because of his righteousness, that his righteousness and peace that causes righteousness to spread throughout the earth and the people that are living there at that time, uh, there will be abundance in the land. You know, the scriptures, they tie in throughout the scriptures. As you look at it, you see um, that when there is righteous rulers... Uh, or righteousness in the, of the nation and just rulers, then there's an abundance in the land. Um, it's, it's kind of a biblical principle. You know, um, now the Lord brings hardship. There's other things that take place. All of that, it's not this like, you know, formula. This is always how it is. But we see those promises to Israel even, right? If you're just, 
if you obey my commands, if you follow me, if you do these things, then your land will, will be abounding with abundance, with, with grain, with, with produce, with, with uh, flocks, with all of these things. And, you know, ultimately that really, I mean, there was abundance, there were all these other things, but that promise never really comes to true fulfillment until there's Jesus. Because really there's no righteous ruler really true righteous ruler until Jesus comes and then that those things are fulfilled in him you know sometimes it's hard to read these things I we look forward to it but I look at the way the world is now um, and uh, we know it's prophesied that it will be like this um, that we're going to go through things that, like what we're going through right now um, and everything. But we have hope. We have peace, this abundance of peace that's promised to look forward to. We can have peace here and now, and the Lord gives us that peace. Um, and we are to have that perspective of where we're looking forward to these blessings that we have that then spur us on to good works, to be obedient to Him, to follow Him, to walk with Him. We have that, um, that uh, just the blessings of, of, of um, walking with Him here and now. But if we take our eyes off of the promises that we have for the future as well, then our perspective shifts and we can focus on all the evil, all the wicked, all the bad things that are happening here and now. That's why it's so important for us to be in the scriptures, to be reading Psalms, to be reading the prophecies that we have. Yes, there's hard, difficult things. There's wickedness, there's evil. There's going to be a great tribulation coming. All of these things, but, I, but there's also the good promises that we have. Christ is always with us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us orphans. We have all the riches of Christ here and now in him we can have peace and joy here and now we can rejoice and glory in trials and tribulations on this earth here and now that we suffer because of the promises that we have in him we have to have that right perspective in his days verse 7 the righteous shall flourish in an abundance of peace until the moon is no more again this abundance of peace Verse 8, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is one of the verses here that tells you this is not about Solomon's kingdom. Because Solomon's kingdom, it didn't go from sea to sea. It didn't go from the river to the ends of the earth. It was finite. And yet this kingdom that he's talking about here is over the whole earth. From the river to the ends of the earth. From sea to sea he shall have dominion. You see Psalm 2, Psalm 8, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Zechariah 9, Micah 5, all of these, these all, there's all of these prophecies that echo this throughout. That when Jesus comes, he's going to have dominion that will cover the earth. You know, he, he's coming back, he'll set up his throne and his kingdom in Jerusalem, but it's not going to be just covering that area. He's king over the entire earth. He's going to have dominion. You guys uh, know the verse, Philippians 2, uh, verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is going to have dominion over everyone, over everything, and, and everyone will acknowledge his rulership. You know, Jesus is truly is hated and mocked in our culture, in our society. Um, even within the church, there's a belittling of Jesus and who he is what he's done. Uh, and yet, he, he will have his day. And he's righteous. And he will judge those who have mocked him, who don't turn to him. And when there is the persecution that has come upon the church and comes upon us as we follow him, uh, we can trust and know that, like the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We can trust him for that. We can lean on him for those times and know that he will have dominion. He is the ruler, that the mockery, that the, the ridicule, that the belittling, that the hatred towards Christ and towards his people will have its end one day. Will have its end. And we have that promise here. Verse 9, those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. That lick the dust reminds me of the curse on the serpent in the garden. Remember? Um, he was told that he'll crawl on his belly and eat the dust of the ground. Right? Uh, the enemies of Christ ultimately will have the same end that Satan does. Licking the dust, eating the dust. Uh, and uh, Jesus, again, he'll have his vengeance, he'll have his day. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isles. Tarshish was the furthest that um, they really knew at that time or talked about, at least in Israel at that time, one of the furthest cities of the isles says the kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. His rule will be over the entire earth. Everyone. Verse 12. He will deliver the needy when he cries. The poor also in him who has no helper. How beautiful. He's, he's got the rule he has authority over all kings, all nations. He rules the entire earth. He's the, the God of heaven, created everything, conquered the Antichrist, and, and wiped out the rebellion against him, all of those things. And yet we have this beautiful picture of his heart and his desire. He will deliver the poor, or deliver the needy when he cries. The poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. How beautiful that is, that the God of such power, majesty, uh, rule. You know, again, we read in Revelation, he rules with a rod of iron. And yet that rod of iron does not take away from his grace, his mercy, and his compassion that he shows to people. 
He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. I thought it was needy. I, I might be or neat. I might be stretching things a little bit here. But that word in verse twelve, he will deliver, is, is uh, another word for snatch away in Hebrew. Um, he will snatch away the needy when he cries out. I thought of the rapture of the church. You know, we have that promise of the rapture taking. I believe it coming. I believe that uh, it will take place prior to the tribulation. And you see um, kind of these, this threefold aspect of, of the Lord's deliverance of people. You have, he will deliver the needy, snatch them away when he cries, the poor also in him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and, me, and needy, which is sparing from uh, or through destruction or judgment as well. So he will spare the poor and needy. And will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life or ransom them from oppression and violence. All these different ways of talking about the salvation that the Lord gives to those uh, who love him. And who he looks upon with grace and mercy. Uh, there's delivering the needy when he cries. The poor. He delivers us. He snatches us away. He pulls us out. He spares us from judgment. If we've placed our faith in him, he'll save our souls. He will redeem our lives. That word life is also a word for soul. Um, our, our whole nature is what that is speaking of. He will redeem our life from oppression and violence. But not only that, what's beautiful about this, it says, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. That's literal blood that he's talking about. Their lives, their physical lives, are precious in his sight. The Lord considers and looks on. There's a, there's a sparing of life that will take place at that time as well. I, I think of Israel. You know, the, the great tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble, right? The day of the Lord. We, we read about that Israel for rejecting Jesus as their Messiah in his first coming will have this time of trial and tribulation Will they'll look to a false Messiah, the Antichrist, and believe that he's their savior. And yet then he will break this seven-year um, covenant that he has with them, three and a half years. He'll break that. He'll establish uh, an image of himself, of the beast, on a wing of the temple. And then this heavy intense persecution of the Jews will take place where they're told to flee. Jesus talks about pray that it doesn't happen in winter. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath so that you can flee and go. Talks about the Jews fleeing to Petra um, to, to go hide out in the wilderness away from the Antichrist. The, it's going to be an intense, heavy time of persecution. And it's truly, it's judgment on the Jews for rejecting Jesus. But it's also a time to bring them through to a recognition of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. You know, it talks about they will look upon him whom they've pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Um, and, and, and that is what the great tribulation is meant to do for the Jews at that time. Paul talks about Romans 9, 10, 11, that all Israel will be saved, that that's the Lord's program for them is to is to bring them to a point of salvation where they recognize that Jesus fulfills the Torah, fulfills 
uh, the commands of God in the Old Testament, the prophecies, um, fulfills uh, the foreshadowing and, and types of David the king on the throne over Israel, a sovereign nation of uh, abundance and blessing of Solomon, the man of, of wisdom and riches and abundance, that, that Jesus is that fulfillment fully for them. And that the great tribulation will bring them to that point of recognition. And the Lord comes, that's what, like we read about in, in Revelation 19, he comes robes dipped in blood. Why are they dipped in blood? Because he's protecting his people ultimately at that point. He's coming judging against those people who've come against him and against the Jews and against his people, those who were martyred um, for their faith in him. He comes back as the defender, as the, the venging king. Um, at that point, precious shall be their blood in his sight. It's beautiful. Verse 15, and he shall live. I love that. And he shall live. He shall live. Simple statement. That's the cry of us as Christians about Jesus. He shall live. He lives. He continues to live. He's not dead. He's risen, right? He lives. He shall live. I love that. Um, I love Job 19.25. He, he, Job writes and he says, I'm going to butcher it off the top of my head, but he says that I, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, though my flesh is all, you know, rotted away, that I will, that in the end I will in my flesh stand and see God, see Him, see my Redeemer that he lives, that Jesus lives. We will see him. He shall live. He, he shall continue on. It's beautiful. Nothing can stop Jesus and his agenda and what he's doing and his plan. No one can. You know, there's that wicked, evil movie that came out years ago. Um, I forget what it was called. It doesn't even matter. You shouldn't even look it up. But they had this ridiculous opening scene where Jesus is supposed to be coming back and somebody accidentally shoots him out of the sky and then all of a sudden, you know, the end times come and there's no Jesus at that point. It's just ridiculous, totally just wicked and evil. Um, that's never going to happen. Never. No one can stop Jesus and what he's doing and what his agenda is. We can trust him, his promises. We see the end. We know him. He shall live. The gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually. People will come to him, will, will entreat him, will pray to him, will, will lift up their prayers and their petitions to him constantly. Will go to him for mediation. And daily he shall be praised. It's beautiful. You know, we, we sang that song tonight, Holy, Holy, Holy. You know, that's the perpetual song that's sung in heaven to Jesus, holy, holy, holy. This continual praise of Jesus and who he is. It's beautiful. Verse 16, there will be an abundance of grain in the earth on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon. That picture is Lebanon was known at the time for having these tall cedars, tall trees there. The winds would blow through and the trees would go sway back and forth. And you could look up and you could see them. And that was the picture, just this grain 
flowing over everything, abundance of crops and beauty. The grain will be on the top of the mountains, not just in the valley, the fertile places of the valley, but overflowing all the way up to the tops of the mountains, the grain will be. And those of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. People will, will experience an abundance unlike has ever been seen on the earth. Will, will live and not suffer the things that we suffer here and now. Remember the picture that one who dies young or dies at an old age in our standing is going to be considered as dying like a child, young, dying young. You know, there will be children playing with the vipers in a pit and, you know, animals that will, all these different things, this beautiful abundance, blessing, peace, ease, all of these things that will take place on the earth in his day time when Jesus establishes his throne. That's what we have to look forward to. Verse 17, his name shall endure forever, his nature, who he is. His name shall continue as long as the sun and even beyond that. And men shall be blessed in him. We're blessed in him. We want blessings, it's in him. We want to bless others, it's by pointing them to him. Blessings come from him. All nations shall call him blessed. Not all nations don't do that now, but all nations shall call him blessed. That goes back to Genesis, the promises to Abraham. Remember, I'll make your descendants uh, like the stars. All of the things in your, uh, your seed uh, will, the nations will be blessed in your offspring. The promises to Abraham, that's fulfilled in Jesus. All nations shall call him blessed. It's beautiful. And this psalm, it ends with verses 18 and 19 with this doxology um, because of all of these things. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. That's who he is. He is the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. If we could have that in our hearts and our minds, if we could have that understanding, God only does wondrous things. Everything he does for us is wondrous. It's not a small thing. It's not uh, inconsequential. What he does for us is wondrous. It has eternal weight. Everything that he does for us. It's beautiful. He only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. That will take place one day. And we have that to look forward to if we've placed our faith in him. And then Solomon uh, finishes and says, Amen. And amen. And then we have that verse 20, which is really the end of the, the second book of Psalms here. That is this portion that moves into the book three, as you see the little subtitle there, if it has it in your Bible. Um, but uh, Dave Guzik pointed this out, and I thought it was really interesting. You know, Solomon, king over Israel, his father was King David. And at the very end of here, he doesn't reference his father as king. He just says the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Because in comparison to Jesus, the true king, the Messiah, David pales. All others pale in comparison to Jesus as the true king. You know, uh, we need to be praying as a people, as a church, about our role here and now. You know, Mariel sent, um, what was the scripture reference? I don't remember that you sent to the family today? Right. Very, very simple, straightforward, living before uh, 
the world as, as the church, as his believers. We have these simple things that we're called to do, to just walk with him, to trust in him, to rely upon his Holy Spirit, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and to let the Spirit of God overflow in our lives to produce those good things that we want to do. It, it's, it's a simple just relationship with him, walking with him. It's not these great and amazing things that we have to do out here. No, it's just being devoted to him, following him, walking with him. But one of those things that we need to do, and I've felt convicted lately, and, and um, you know, we need to pray about it, is how can, we, how can we share the gospel more with people? How can we reach out more to people? You know, the world is quite literally going to hell in a handbasket. You know, and the things that are coming upon the earth, if we believe what the scriptures talk about with the end times, are going to be horrific. And it's going to become more and more difficult to believe in Jesus because the Bible talks about deception increasing, right? A time of great deception that's going to come on the earth. That there will be a time when people will recognize that there's a God in heaven, but they're going to reject him continuously over and over again. We read about in the book of Revelation. Their hearts will be hard against him. And they'll curse him. And they'll cry for the rocks to fall on them and kill them. Rather than recognize their need for him as God and Savior. That's the time that's coming on the earth. And so if you believe the times are short. And I truly do believe the times are short then there's not a lot of time for people to turn to him. Now, the Lord knows, and he can tarry and all of these things, but we're called as Christians, as believers, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? We're, we're called to do that. And so we as a church, you know, uh, we share the gospel. Dan shares the gospel. We teach from the Bible. Uh, we have worship. But what happens here at, in the church building is not an evangelism crusade every Wednesday, every Sunday. This is meant for equipping, uh, for uh, edifying the body of Christ, for, for equipping people for service. Now, there are those times where, you know, again, there's, there's evangelism, all that, that takes place, and, and we have events for that as well, too. But evangelism is supposed to take place with us in our lives as we're going out into the world. We're called to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That means as we step out our door, well, even before we step out our door, as we get out of bed, we're at home with our children and our wives. We're sharing the gospel with them. Are, are we leading them to Christ? You know, uh, are, are we praying for our children? But even then, as we step out the door, we go to school, go to work, go to the store. Are we being led by the Spirit and asking Him to give us opportunities to take the step, to be willing to share with people, to have those conversations with people, uh, to, you know, I, I just read, you know, and it's not going to be the same for everybody. There's no formula that works. It, it should truly be being led by the Spirit in how we share with people. It's going to be different every time, you know, have a coworker says, you know, oh man, my mom just died. You know, there's a opportunity to talk about the Lord to say hey can I pray for you you know do you think about death do you think about what happens after you die all these things you know um, do you, uh, there's all of these openings that we have if only we were filled and being led by the spirit to take those openings and to speak the truth in boldness 
is we have a hope that people need, and the hope is Christ. And, and Christ call, has called us to share him to the people around us. Um, and if we don't see the church growing, it's not because we're not doing all the right programs or all these other things necessarily, but the growth that we want to see are people coming to salvation, people coming to faith in him. It's not people from another church leaving their church and coming here, right? I mean, if they weren't getting fed and the church was teaching false doctrine, then amen, come and be taught the word, right? But that's not how a church grows. A church grows by the Lord adding it to to it daily such as should be saved, right? That's how a church grows. We need to do our part as believers.